Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and for the month of July, we are running some of our favorite episodes from the archives. Some go back as far as episode number two. We hope that you enjoy these as we work on season seven of the Good Life Coach podcast, where we'll be bringing you all new content and amazing guests. If you'd like to access the show notes for any of the episodes that you tune into, you can find those over at thegoodlifecoach.com. And while you're there, head on over to the podcast page where you can actually search podcasts by category so that you are getting the content that is most relevant to you. Okay, friends. So I hope you enjoy the replays from the archives and look forward to reconnecting with you very soon with all new shows. So here we go. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, this is Michelle, and if you enjoy learning about ways to optimize your health and well-being, then today's show is for you. Today's guest is Dr. Stephen Cabral. He's a board-certified naturopathic doctor and founder of the Cabral Wellness Institute and StephenCabral.com. At 17 years old, he was diagnosed with a life-altering illness and given no hope for recovery. Every day, he suffered endlessly for many years. It was only after Stephen traveled all over the world and discovered how to combine ancient Ayurvedic healing practices with state-of-the-art naturopathic and functional medicine did he understand how to finally fully rebalance the body and re-energize it with life. Today in Dr. Cabral's online and Boston practice, where he and his team have completed over 250,000 client appointments, he uses functional medicine lab testing and personalized wellness plans to help people rebalance their mind and body to recover from autoimmune, thyroid, fatigue, hormone, weight gain, digestive, childhood, mood, skin, and dozens of other hard-to-treat health conditions. His mission is to help people understand that there is always a reason why you have not achieved your ideal wellness or weight loss goals and that you can and will get well again. In this episode, Dr. Cabral discusses his own journey to regain his health. Then he teaches us about the concept of the rain barrel effect and how when your rain barrel has overflowed, how it will impact your health, your weight, and how you age. He'll teach us the best foods to slow aging and prevent disease, why cancer is on the rise, and the best diet to prevent it. And then we go into the Ayurvedic body types, also known as doshas, and he'll walk us through the different body types and how you should eat and exercise based on your own dosha. I think you'll learn a lot of great information today, and let's get to the interview. Welcome, Dr. Cabral. I'm so excited to have you today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be talking with you today because you are such a passionate practitioner and teacher. You have your podcast, which I love and listen to all the time, and you've now released this amazing book, The Rain Barrel Effect, which I have earmarked and underlined and gone back to so many times. But before we get into um, the specifics about how you can help us maximize, maximize our own health, I was wondering if you could take a minute to explain the difference between a functional medicine doctor, which is what you are, versus a traditional doctor, and then we can get into some of the more of the specifics. Yeah, absolutely. So functional medicine is essentially using state-of-the-art lab work and understanding nutritional supplements, whether it be vitamins or minerals or herbs, it's, it's really looking at and integrating the best of Eastern-based medicine with Western-based medicine. So functional medicine doctors completely believe 
in like state-of-the-art lab testing and all that. And we think it's great. But what we don't want to do is forget about all of the ancient base wisdom of how to help the body essentially replace a lot of its deficiencies that we may find and remove the toxicities. Because as we get to talk today, we'll, we'll hopefully be able to share with people that many of the reasons why people are sick today is because there is too much buildup of certain toxicities in the body that we can talk about. And the body's also lacking certain minerals or vitamins or amino acids or essential fatty acids, which make up the body itself. And the body breaks down in a very systematic function. So what functional medicine does, it looks at other labs besides just blood work, such as hormones and saliva, thyroid and blood work, but going much deeper. It looks at genetics and DNA. It looks at omega-3 levels in the body. So we look at everything. What we do is we find a deeper picture of what's going on with the person, and then we begin to help the person heal through any method possible and any method necessary. And so it's truly integrative. I, I myself am in a naturopathic doctor, so a naturopath versus a medical doctor, but medical doctors could also decide to go into functional medicine as well. Okay, that's hugely helpful. And in fact, I always say you should have on your own personal wellness team, a naturopath like yourself and a traditional doctor. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree. I just think that um, one doesn't have to be better than the other, that we can really integrate, like you said, your own team, which could also include massage therapist, personal trainer, acupuncturist, chiropractor. You might not go to them all the time, but they're there and they're there to help you. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, your story is so interesting. So I was reading in your book, and I've listened to your podcast, and I I'd love it if you could share it. I mean, at the age of 17, you became so unwell, and your own rain barrel had overflowed. Could you take us into your story and explain what happened and how you got better? Yeah, so looking back now, I can understand why it happened. At the time, of course, it was a mystery. And so when I did get sick and I woke up, like I've talked about before that, that, you know, that fall morning, and it's still very vivid because I was right away, I knew something was wrong. I woke up, my eyes were crusted shut. My, my tongue was basically swollen. All the glands in my neck, my armpits, my groin were all swollen, all the lymph nodes. And my heart rate was really accelerated, like 120, 130 beats per minute, just lying down. And when I got up, when I went to stand up, my legs literally gave out. And so I had all these flu-like symptoms, brain fog, fatigue, accelerated heart rate. I mean, all, really, uh, immune system was completely dysfunctional. And conventional medicine couldn't figure out what it was. They couldn't figure out why I was this way. And, you know, again, now looking back on it, like, how did that happen? Well, for three years before that, I had been put on antibiotics twice a day for three years for skin-based issues. And again, my skin wasn't terrible, but, you know, your typical teenage boy eating a poor diet and, you know, all of those different types of things, 3,000 capsules of amoxicillin later, um, what we later found out is what I had tremendous gut-based dysfunction. I had SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, you know, a lot of people just call it IBS. They just give it a random, you know, brand on it saying, okay, you have irritable bowels. Okay, well, no one ever asked why, you know? So those are important things we look at. I had candida overgrowth and I had H. pylori. Uh, and then I had Epstein-Barr virus and Epstein-Barr virus was one more factor. So I had all of these things going on. So between the antibiotics being my senior in high school and a lot of stress, working two jobs essentially, uh, it was the perfect storm and it really debilitated and knocked me down for quite some time. But what I can say is that it led on essentially a five-year to almost 10-year journey of putting myself back together, meeting with some amazing practitioners and doctors, and then I myself going all around the world to essentially study and, and figure out this form of medicine that I now practice today. You know what's so interesting, too, and uh, such an amazing story that, you know, you had to go through all of that. But I noticed in your book that you wrote, I wanted to be an archaeologist who traveled all around the world, exploring ancient mysteries, studying lost civilizations, and unearthing long-buried secrets. And your journey, in essence, became that, but with medicine, which is kind of cool, actually. It wasn't what you intended to be. You write in the book, I never intended to be a doctor. But you traveled around the world. You went to Sri Lanka and to China and all over the U.S. and Europe to try to find the best of the best to heal yourself. And now you're teaching and helping others do that as well. Um, I just think it's kind of cool um, that your, it, your path on, ended up unfolding kind of the way you envisioned it, but just in a different way. No, you're absolutely right. And, and no one's ever actually really made that connection. But that's the truth is that 
um, that was my adventure, right? Those, and it still goes on to this day. A lot of people think, and a lot of practitioners are actually this way. It's like, well, when you graduate medical school, well, that's it. Again, like most doctors, they might do a conference once a year, every couple of years to continue, you know, with their certifications and board certifications and licensing and all that. But, you know, a lot of times that's it. Like we just stop learning. And for me, um, I will always be that, you know, sick kid at 17 years old, who keeps fighting every single day. I mean, I read and research every single day. And a lot of my, my, um, uh, a lot of my passions lie in that area still, meaning that even outside of work, this is, this is a lifestyle for me. So although I could say, okay, well, I've kind of learned what I need to in order to be able to help people. There's, I mean, this, this is a field that you can never get to the other side on because there's so much to learn. And, and that's why, again, um, I'll be doing this for many decades to come because again, it is a phenomenal field, which I push a lot of people towards. I just, I think, Becoming a health coach or moving towards health coaching is such a great thing. Absolutely. And I'm, as a certified holistic health coach, I'm super passionate and I find myself reading tons of book on health and psychology and anything that helps me be the best that I can be. But um, I want to come back to the rain barrel effect. You know, when you were writing this book, and now I keep having this thought that you're a health archaeologist. I don't know. We're going to give you a new brain. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um the rain barrel effect. So what exactly is the rain barrel effect and how did you overcome your own rain barrel overflow? So the rain barrel effect is, and this was the very first time I was exposed to this term, which again, almost no one's ever heard of before. And so what I tell people a lot of times too is, I've read thousands of books. I've traveled all over the world. And my goal with traveling all over the world wasn't just to travel all over the world. It was, I specifically said to myself, I will practice the form of medicine that I see helps people get well. And what I found was that in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine and all sorts of different types of functional medicine or bioregulatory medicine, orthomolecular medicine, you name it, is like they all work. They really did. The problem was it didn't work 100% of the time. And I said, I mean, how is this possible? Because everyone needs to get well. So what I found just with enough time was that everyone can get well. I honestly believe that. I, I see that in my practice. It's just that you can't make people fit into one box. Not everyone's going to get well doing acupuncture alone, right? Not everyone's going to do well on your typical nutrition exercise program in order to lose weight. So what we need to do is when someone comes to see us as a health practitioner is not make them fit into that box of what you do. If it doesn't fit, then you the best thing you can do is refer out for that person or maybe you get the knowledge base in order to help that person. So what I found is that everyone can get well and every system of medicine works. It's just knowing when to pair what person with what form of medicine. Like that's, that's really the beauty of it. And so when I was looking into it, and so basically the reason I came about that study is my job is to assimilate the knowledge of all of the masters that have come, you know, before myself, all of the books that have been written and try to put it together in like a cohesive fashion. So when I heard about the rain barrel effect, I said, how do people not know this? Like, this is literally why people gain weight and can't lose it. They get sick and they can't get better. They're not aging as well as they should be. And the reason is that they, they've literally filled up their own rain barrel. And what that means is this, a rain barrel, we don't have them all over the you know US or but usually when you have a gutter it would drip down into a rain barrel and it would catch the water so that it wouldn't ruin your lawn or run down your house or anything like that but the problem is we never see that rain barrel starting to fill up we never check it we never look at it because there's no symptoms all of a sudden the water starts to overflow over the top of the rain barrel and then you get you know the grass is destroyed around it and then it's a bigger issue right because you have to somehow empty that rain barrel well it's the same for all of us we live in a time right now where we most likely have accumulated too much, too much antibiotics, too much chlorine in the water, too much fluoride in the water, uh, too much heavy metals, too much toxins from the environment, too much food in general or fried food or whatever it might be. But we've accumulated it. All of a sudden we wake up one day in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever it might be with this dis-ease that we then give a name to. Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis, sarcoidosis, MS, uh, alopecia, you name it, someone has it. But the truth is that it didn't start yesterday. And you didn't just get it today. When I got sick at 17, it had already been accumulating. Three years of antibiotics, being a stressed kid, being that pitta mindset, being a you know, type A, all of those things burned out my body. 
And the last straw was basically wiping out my immune system with all those antibiotics. So I'd filled up my rain barrel, right? And then all of a sudden, the overflowing was the symptoms I got the names for. I eventually got diagnosed with Addison's disease and rheumatoid arthritis and POTS and myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is basically flu-like symptoms every single day, fibromyalgia. Um, you name it, That those are my symptoms. But the only way to get rid of those symptoms, because remember, people would say Addison's is disease, all of these things are disease. Fine, call them whatever you want, but the only way you're going to get rid of them is to empty the rain barrel of what got you there in the first place. Wow. Um, I'm just thinking as you're speaking, I mean, so many people right now are living with some level of dis-ease. I know you usually, you know, put the hyphen in between in quotes because you said the root of everything comes from and this overflow. So how would somebody take a first step if they're not feeling um, themselves and they feel like their rain barrel has absolutely overflowed because they've either been diagnosed by a doctor with something or they just don't feel themselves? What's the first step somebody can take to help feel better? So in my practice, we use um, something called the de-stress protocol. So it's eight parts because, you know, a lot of people are looking for what's that one thing. And I know that you're not asking that, but people ask, like, what's the one thing I can do? And I say, you know what? I wish there was that one thing, right? But it's not, it's not that way. And so what we need to look at is what got you here in the first place. And so we need to always look at that. The best way to do that is through functional medicine lab testing. Uh, we offer those right online to everyone all over the world. But you can also work with a local functional medicine practitioner or a functional medicine um, coach or any number of people. Could be an acupuncturist, could be a chiropractor, could be a naturopath, could be an MD. But it's someone with the knowledge to be able to do some of this clinical lab testing. And so if you said, okay, well, I have IBS or I have some type of digestive issue. I get bloated after most meals. I feel heavy. I feel swollen. I feel bloated. I'm uncomfortable. I'm irritable. Any one of those things, we'd say, okay, well, let's run an organic acids test to see if there's any candida overgrowth. Let's run a stool test to see if there's any bacterial overgrowth or parasites or H. pylori. And then we don't have to guess at all. We know exactly whatever we find We'll be able to wipe it out through natural health, rebalance your body. You'll be able to then absorb more nutrients. You'll be able to absorb your B vitamins, all the good food you're trying to put in your body in the first place. You'll be able to now utilize it to a greater degree. So if, if possible, lab testing is always best. And if not, then look at your symptoms and then begin to use something like, let's say, um, we, we have something called the Dr. Ball Detox. It's a fun functional medicine detox. What that does is it allows you to remove toxins at a faster rate scientifically because you're giving your liver what's called phase one and phase two nutrients that helps to clean your blood at a faster degree. All of these things are literally proven now through science. It's not a naturopath or it's a MD type thing. This is actual you know medical science right now that we're dealing with. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the detox part because one of the big takeaways I got from your book was that detoxification is essential for well-being. Is that right? And and how does that differ from cleansing? Because you hear people say, oh, I'm on a cleanse. So there's detox versus cleanse. What's what's the best way to go and what what's the difference? Yeah, so they're they're both great, but they're, n they're nothing alike. And we just use them interchangeably in the media. You know, that's it's kind of like everything's a cleanse or everything's a detox. Right. But um so the big the the way to look at it is a cleanse would be something like an intestinal cleanse. So those are amazing as well. And that's just basically removing a lot of what might be in the bowels, right? 23 feet of intestinal tract that needs to be removed. So you have about, well, you have about 23 feet or so of a small intestine, about five feet to six feet of large intestine, making up about 28 feet total. So that's removing a lot of the excess. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to do at all. A lot of people talk about like a juice cleanse, like they're just going to take a day from not eating. That can be fantastic as well. But what a detox is, is very different. So a detox is actually so we're right now exposed to over 77,000 man-made chemicals in the environment. This is not my statistic. It's World Health Organization, uh, which is independent, and it looks at all, all the toxins in the environment. That's in the United States, 77,000. So in Europe, they have somewhere around 8,000 plus. So it's obviously it's radically different, but it's still 8,000 man-made chemicals, most of those uh, cancer-causing. And you know, we, we wonder why there's so much cancer in the world and why it's about to become the number one disease by 2030, uh, replacing cardiovascular-based death for, for mortality. One out of two people will have cancer. And there's not really a question why. We know why. Meaning like when we, when we want to give a lab rat 
in, uh, in the laboratory cancer in order to try to treat the cancer, we give it an actual pesticide that they put on foods. So when I read that, was doing my research, I'm like, we're trying to figure out why we get cancer. We know how to give an animal cancer. Shouldn't we not do that to humans? Like it just almost seems like common sense, but uh, the corporations and all that play into it. And I don't like to get into all of that. But the truth is that we live in a pretty toxic environment. These things accumulate in the body. The body stores them away in what's called the adipose tissue or our fat stores. And then it, it basically builds up. Again, your fat stores have their own rain barrel effect. Everything begins to swell. And that's the reason why people become literally toxic. Their bodies become swollen. They're gaining a lot of weight, not necessarily just because of calories, but really becomes their body's becoming more toxic. Well, what a functional medicine detox does is it gives your body, specifically your liver, the nutrients it needs to filter your blood. All right. So your liver filters your blood, like a car filter filters all the smog on a highway. Um, a vacuum picks up all the dirt. Well, your liver is the organ in your body located right under the right side of your um, rib cage that filters all the blood in your body every six minutes. And its job is to take these fat-soluble toxins, turn them into a water-soluble toxin so that you can remove it from your body harmlessly through urine, through stool, through sweat, or huffing it off through the lungs. But this only happens if you have enough of the vitamins and minerals that your body needs and enough of the sulfur-based amino acids uh, for phase two detoxification, which most people are missing, such as N-acetylcysteine, selenium, glutathione. And again, all these can be lab-tested for as well. So I think it's so helpful what you've just explained. And I think sometimes it can be overwhelming because there's so many different diets out there and different ways of everyone wants to tell you how you should be eating and living your life. And at the heart of it, we really need to focus on bioindividuality, which is what works for our own bodies. So what I found in your book that I think isn't as mainstream and I think incredibly useful is this whole idea of mind-body um, by understanding the Ayurvedic way of healing through doshas. Could you explain the doshas further? Because I think if somebody could understand their body type, that might help them better understand how they can seek the best nutrition for themselves, the best, you know, how they should be sleeping, how they should be exercising. Could you take us into that? Because I, I don't think many people are as aware of it. And I do think it's hugely helpful. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's one thing that's the foundation. So we consider, you know, because all humans have the same uh, physiology and that means like, meaning like a detox is going to be essential for everyone. Like that's just part of us as human beings and our body's ability to keep itself clean. And in the book, I actually, and we won't go over it today because I know we only have so much time, but I talk about the chicken heart, the immortal chicken heart and how they kept this thing alive. It could go on forever. And they did that by cleaning the solution that it was in. So that was the amazing thing. It, it was immortal as long as the solution was kept be kept clean. And that's what we talk about for detoxification. Now, for bioindividuality, so there's a unique thing. It's called your genotype, which is what you're born as, your genetics. And then your phenotype is who you are today. Now, the genotype can't change. So that's your genetics. And again, when we look at genetics, a lot of people blame their genetics for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, or, or gaining weight, whatever it might be. And there's truth to that. But the problem is this, is that it doesn't hold up when we look at medical studies, because right now we see that only about 5% of all the disease and, immortal and mortality that we have in the world is related strictly to genetics. 95% is actually epigenetics, and it's what you do with your diet, with your environment, with your lifestyle. So what does that mean? Well, it means the food you put in your body, the toxins you're exposed to, the stress that you're under. All of those things matter. And then that changes based on your unique body type. And so in Ayurvedic medicine, 5,000 plus years ago, they had the vata, they had the pitta, and they have the kapha. Well, you know, in all of our Western-based wisdom, we thought we came up with the body types again about 100 years ago or so. And that was the ectomorph, which is the same thing as the vata, the mesomorph, which is the same as the pitta, and the endomorph, which is the same as the kapha. Except in Ayurvedic medicine, they're called doshas instead of body types. And they go uh, much, much deeper into the science behind each one of them. And that, that was, again, 5,000 plus years ago. So we use that all the time for bioindividuality in a person's dosha. And then we mix that with the functional medicine lab. So, you know, when you ask a person, what are they deficient in? We run something called an organic acids test to look at, and that's just a simple at-home urine test. That's literally all it is. You mail into the lab and you get your recommendations from there. So that looks at all your vitamins, sorry, that looks at, yes, all your vitamins, 
really great to look at. Also, all the gut-based function, mitochondrial function, neurotransmitter waste markers, all that. And then we run a hair tissue mineral analysis. We call that our starter kit, the organic acid test and the hair tissue mineral analysis, because the hair tissue mineral analysis also shows your heavy metal toxicity buildup, which is really important for Alzheimer's, dementia, and nervous system-based issues, autoimmune issues. And then it looks at all your minerals. So between the organic acid test with all your vitamins and your hair tissue mineral analysis with all your minerals, you get a really great state of where the body's at. So we're able to make recommendations really bio-individual based on those labs. And then we can look at the doshas from there, which is the actual build of the human body of that frame. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm wondering if you could actually walk us through the doshas. So somebody might be listening and thinking, hmm, I wonder if I could figure out what type I am, what body type I am. Would that be doable? We, we can absolutely, we can give it a shot. Okay, go for <laughs> So it. I always say it's like, it's such a, you know, it's such a deep thing. I'm doing actually on my podcast right now, I'm doing Ayurvedic series. And all we're talking about is like, okay, here are the, here's the main foundation, which we want to talk about right now. And then there's so many subtleties that are built into it. And the reason why is that, you know, again, I don't know about you, but I'm like, seven or eight different nationalities. So there's just like been a mm-hmm. blending of different body types and nationalities, which I think is great and, and without a doubt. But when we look at it, the, the Vata body type is the thinner body type. So what I mean by that is always the frame, not the weight that's put on the frame, but the frame itself. So it means they have thinner joints. They have a longer, more oval based face. Um, Nose is longer. Neck is longer. Um, again, like I said, thinner, slender. You can see more of the bone structure, more of the bones and the knees and the wrists, all of those. And then we have the pitta, which is more of a medium-based build overall, but they have broader shoulders. They have more of a square jaw or head. Um, they have... Uh, more of the smaller features, kind of like a a smaller nose that's a little upturned at the end. They have thinner, finer hair. Uh, The kapha-based body type, and again, that's usually more of an athletic type. They can put on a little bit more muscle, but any type can put on muscle, so I'm not saying that at all. And the kapha type, or the endomorph, that's the type that's able, that's easier, I should say, for them to put on weight, meaning that the Vata loses weight at a much faster rate, like even without trying, and the endomorph gains weight or the kapha gains weight without trying. That's an easy way to kind of look at where you're at right now. Now, again, that could be because of thyroid-based issues. It could be because of blood sugar. So there are other factors that go into it, but typically those would be a kapha-based disorder. But a true kapha body type um, is more prone to those things. They're more anabolic. The body gains more. They have larger calves, larger ankles basically go down. They have more of a rounder head. They have a shorter, thinner neck. Uh, They have a more robust chest. So when you look at that, you can understand, hey, this is my unique body type. Now, we get into that where a lot of people deny their body type. They don't like to believe it. They think one body type's better than another. But what I'm trying to do is teach people that all of us have this unique body type and it's unique to us and it's our kind of imprint. It's our fingerprint. And it's a beautiful thing is that we don't need to have, we don't need to look one specific way in order to be healthy. We don't need to look one specific way in order for people to like us or give our best image out to the world. And it's really accepting our body itself, which is a great thing. But then also, getting that body the healthiest place it can be. So for that Vata body type, they're not going to be this, you know, especially like guys that want to put on a lot of weight, and a lot of muscle. It's going to be really challenging for that Vata type. Now, can they put on muscle? Absolutely. But it's going to be a lot more challenging for that endomorph. They want to get, you know, a lot of women that I work with and have worked with. We've done many, many body transformation. They want to get very, very thin. And that's so hard and, and very unhealthy with that endomorph body type. However, they can have an amazing body, just as amazing as their endomorphic self, right? And so I'm just, I'm very happy because I see right now um, the, the different body types changing. Like the understanding that you can have a beautiful body as this type, this type, or this type, as long as you're healthy. And that's why we promote health overall above everything. Your body should be balanced and it should be healthy. Hopefully that makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about my body type and even like my husband's. And um, I think that having a foundation or understanding of body type as something that is uniquely a part of you is also very helpful. Just like you said, if somebody wants to, uh, like me, like put on weight, it's harder. And I know a lot of people, you know, go, oh, well, you know, that doesn't sound like a hard thing, but it, it 
can be. And it also means that I run higher anxiety and higher stress levels, right? And I need more sleep. Like each of these, each of our types informs how we uh, experience the world. Um, I'm wondering actually if we can go just a tiny bit deeper. Um, I know it's a subject you do like. So, um, so what would a vata, pitta, or kapha based type, so each of them need in terms of, let's go into exercise because I, because of the types, they require different um, they do better with different types of exercise. Isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely. And that's simply because we know how the nervous systems and the hormones function within the body of each one. So for example, the Vata, which is again going to be that leaner, thinner body type, meaning like, like for an easy example, the Vata has a, a very thin neck and a longer neck. Typically, again, there's, there's very, so there's three main doshas, but there's seven subtypes. So you could be a vata pitta or a vata kapha. You could be a pitta kapha, pitta vata. So there's variations within that. Now, the vata, though, has very thin calves, like almost like it's like no calf muscle there. That's like a true vata. Where the kapha, the endomorph, they have larger calves, and the ankles are typically like almost straight down. And the pitta calf is a muscular calf. Like it has a, it's very well developed, right? They look more like a sprinter. So but again, there are variations within that. Not all of them fit perfectly like that. So you have to understand that the vata, though, the reason why they're also thinner in general, it's harder for them to put on weight, is they're very high sympathetic nervous system dominant, which just means that they run more towards that fight or flight. And yes, it will lead to typically more irritability or anxiety, harder to sleep. But like I had massive insomnia when I was younger, all of those different things. And so the body's like, I always refer to it as the hamster on the wheel. That hamster is always spinning on that wheel. It never gets off. At night, sometimes it just slows down. But the <laughs> endomorph, you know, it's on the wheel when you're exercising and moving, but then it kind of like hops off and it likes to take a nap and it, you know, likes some snacks. Like it's just, that's the endomorph. They're more the parasympathetic nervous system, but lending to that meaning like that's why the endomorph typically has more reserves. They have a better buffer towards stress. They don't always get as anxious They're They can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Like it's, it's all, it's the differences in body type, but it's also why then the Vata body type they're better off with lighter workouts, meaning like they can do some bodyweight workouts. They can do Hatha yoga is fantastic. That walking um, is great for Vata. Whereas for the endomorph, uh, more rigorous interval training. Um, and they can do a lot more cardio because remember, their body's more anabolic. They add more weight. They don't need to do a lot of heavy weight training. Twice a week might be fine for them. Whereas the Pitta uh, might do three times a week, right? So you, have to, you look at that and you can understand that Ayurvedic medicine is all about balance. So if you run more vata, and then all of a sudden, in but remember, vata is like movement. They're characterized by movements, right? So vatas, even though it's not good for them, they like running, and mm-hmm. they like movement, and they're always on the go. But the problem is they're always burning themselves out until it's too late, then they, get, they crash, and they just build up some energy again, and then they use it all up, and they crash. So you have to fight that vata brain as well, and vata pitta brain, and actually say, all right, I'm going to balance this. I'm going to do, I love these things, but I'm going to tone it down a little bit, or I'm going to get more sleep to balance all the energy. I'm outputting during the day. And for the kapha body type, you don't want to do all these things because you're a little bit more sluggish. You like to rest a little bit more. So what do you need to do? Well, you actually need to push yourself to a little bit more exercise, doing a little bit more vigorous based activity. And that's where we can see the balance. And so in Ayurvedic times, they use predominantly yoga, but for the endomorph or the kapha, they did a more vigorous yoga-based practice. They did it at a much faster pace. They did it more vigorous. It would be um, like a Surya Namaskar or something like that. Would be You'd move through it quickly and rapidly and strongly. And then for the vata, and we, again, we did this when I was over in India, uh, it would be very gentle. It would be very gentle hatha yoga and working on breathing and meditation. And in China, it would be qigong. So those are some of the things. But it's always about balance. If your balance is more, ca- if you're more catabolic, like you're burning out, well, you need more rest, rest-based activities, right? And if your body's more sluggish and gains more weight, well, you need to output more. Yeah. And as you're talking, it's so interesting. I'm thinking in my younger days, I loved running. It's true. I just felt the need to move. <laughs> it just yeah. matched my energy. I wanted to move and run. And now uh, yoga or walking, all that feels so much better to my body and to my soul. Um, I have friends who are, you know, you know, always have to do, if they do yoga, it always has to be the hardcore yoga. And they're like, let's, you know, take a class. And I'm like, my body just doesn't like that. And I think as you get older too, you're really in tune with 
the foods that make you feel better, the exercise that makes you feel whole and complete. And it's really just tuning in and starting to know yourself better. Um, I do see that, um, and I appreciated this in the book, because I think there's so many uh, fads and trends. There's keto, there's paleo, there's so many different ways, uh, you know, people are being told to eat. And you really explain it really well in your book in terms of really just focusing on um, 60 to 80 percent uh, fruits and vegetables, more on the vegetable side than the fruit. And you said the difference is really whether you have that protein and the carbs based on the body types, the different doshas. Um, could you help somebody look at their plate, for example, like a dinner plate and, you know, which types would benefit from the carbs and which are the ones that maybe should have more protein? You know, could you just shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, just kind of going back to the the body types as well. Let's say you're a Vata body type and you love CrossFit. Like that would be pretty much the worst. I mean, again, like I <laughs> love CrossFit, no issues with it, but not good for the Vata body type, right? Um, so, but here's the deal. Like if that was your only real output for the day, then it's not as big a deal. We're always talking about balance. Like if you got nine hours of sleep, you ate really well, you recovered, you could probably handle that. But if you're like, okay, well, I have two kids and I'm up late at night, like on my second you know, job or hobby, I only get six hours of sleep. It's not going to make a lot of sense, right? So you're always talking about balance within the body. And if you want to take on a more rigorous thing as a vata, well, you need to then create more balance on the side. That's the yin-yang symbol, right? The great Tao. We talk about that. Like it's been around since the dawn of time. And so we have to respect that. Now, in terms of, um, you know, food, it's just like, when you look at the research, if you're unbiased, because a lot of people have a dog in the race, they just do like they, they have a agenda and I just don't, my only agenda is to try to live forever, uh, to try to help those in my practice live forever and, and through a really good quality of life. And there's no anti-cancer diet that's based on meat. Like a meat diet is not an anti-cancer diet. Neither is a fat diet. It's not an anti-cancer diet. Now you can say, oh, well, keto helps to not feed cancerous tumors. That That is true. Like, and I, that's why I don't deny that research. But there's not an anti-cancer diet that says you won't get cancer in the first place if you eat a lot of fat. So that part is a little misconstrued. There is a plethora of research and even Dana-Farber in Boston, and the like even they're recommending green juices. And the reason they are is that there's a lot of data that it is low glycemic berries, like fruit, and vegetables that help to prevent heart disease, okay, number one killer, type 2 diabetes, uh, stroke, and cancer. And so, like, if you're looking to live a longer, healthier life to prevent free radical damage, to not have your skin wrinkle at an early age, to not lose all of your hair, all of those things, you need to be eating a diet that's low, that's basically low in inflammation, which only fruit and vegetables are, and that's uh, balanced, meaning that provides a lot of phytonutrients and chemicals from a lot of different minerals over the foods. Um, and that has been proven to keep you healthy the longest, right? I mean, like, so that's it. You need a rainbow of colors. So the only way that changes based on body type is that the vata needs more starch from like root vegetables. Okay. Again, like if you're paleo, you don't have to eat grains, but some people do well with oatmeal and they do well with rice. Okay. But you can always just do it through yuca and yams and starches and parsnips and beets and all those different types of things. And then the, um, endomorph, the kapha body type, they gain weight easier. They need less starch and they need more just vegetables, right? The vata could do more fruit because they burn sugar. They're always in that sympathetic nervous system, which burns glucose as their predominant fuel source. The endomorph, they're tapping into body fat because it's a slower burn. Now, a lot of people always ask, well, that makes no sense because if an endomorph burns body fat, why would they be, you know, adding all the weight? Well, it's because their body does not efficiently burn glucose, right? And so Dr. George Watson talked about this many, many years ago, slow oxidizers, fat oxidizers, fat storage, having to do with insulin levels and all of those different types of things. And it's all great. But at the end of the day, an endomorph uh, is not as sensitive to glucose as a ectomorph is. And so we have to respect that. Easy. What do we do? Well, the volume doesn't really change. Your plate should be at least half uh, carbohydrates. I mean, for an endomorph, that's vegetables for the most part, right? For a, a pitta body type, well, um, you know, again, I even, I usually say 75%, to be honest with you. And then that 25% is a, like by volume, we're talking volume. So if you, if you look at a nine inch plate, 
fill it with about two to three cups of veggies for, let's say, an endomorph with about, you know, let's say 25%. Could be a vegan protein, could be fish, or could be meat. Whatever you decide, whatever you ascribe to, because I don't have an issue with that. It's That's your choice, right? But if you put 75% produce, well, you're way ahead of the game. And then you'll add a little bit of healthy fat. Whatever you choose, whether it's um, avocado and olive oil, probably your two top ones, then you could choose whether you want to do coconut oil or whatever your favorites are. The pitta, they could do a little bit of starch or root vegetable. Um, and then the ectomorph, the vata, would actually do better with less leaves in their diet. Again, this is starting to get a little bit more complicated. Uh, and they would do better with um, warmed foods, easy to digest foods, and a little bit more root vegetables as well, such as the um, celery and carrots and uh, yams, sweet potatoes, those types of things. Very warm and nourishing for that vata and the nervous system because those things cut cortisol. And again, we're getting deep into biochemistry right here, but all of these things function the same way. Um, and that's, but again, we can get as deep as you want. We can look at the physiology. The human body has a jaw that, um, for the most part is good for chewing up food, like 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, and then swallowing down into our stomach, which is not very acid. It's not as acid as like a lion or a cat, right? And we have a 28 foot digestive tract. Well, if we look at what are all the other animals with a digestive tract like that, we're like, oh, well, why don't we just look at a chimp, you know, chimpanzee, 99% basically the same. What do they eat? Well, fruit, some vegetables, you know, produce, and very about 5% or so from, from meat or from uh, some type of animal-based protein. If we look at you know, a lion or a cat or something like that. Well, yeah, they're carnivores and they have fangs and they have a stronger jaw and they have low stomach acid, like a one, right? They can burn up all that protein. And they have like a six foot, you know, colons that are a six foot um, intestinal tract rather than 28 feet. And again, I'm not saying that you can't have meat. I'm not, I'm like, guess again, I don't have a dog. That's why people don't know what to make of me in this space because I don't preach one thing. But what I can tell you is this, is that eating massive amounts of meat all day long is definitely not the diet you want to be on for, for long-term uh, health. So I know it was a long-winded there, uh, but hopefully that, that helps point people in the right direction. I think it was fantastic. And actually, you know, I want to just take a moment to say for anyone who's listening, what's important here is, you know, somebody might say, hey, try my raw diet or, you know, and if I tried something like that, I already know that will never work for me. I'll feel terrible on total, you know, just raw food all day long. Um, and right. so you just really need to. So hopefully just by listening to what Dr. Cabral said, you can think about what your dosha or body type is or predominantly is because we're not, like you said, one. I know I think I'm vata part Kafa, I think. Um, <laughs> I think I think you're right. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, okay. So, and uh, you know, one thing just to mention yeah. there as well is it gets deep. Meaning, like you just talked about raw and salads and things like that. Typically, not great for the vata in general. It causes more gas, and they don't have that strong digestive system. But the other truth is this: is that okay? Should I be eating a raw vegan diet in Boston, where I'm from, in January? where it's like 20 degrees and snow, it's, that doesn't make sense also from a physiological perspective where that body, uh, where that would be more cooling for the body. And I'm in a cold environment. During that time of the year, I need warming, warm, nourishing foods, a little bit more acid-based, believe it or not. And then during the late spring and summer, oh, that's the time to bring out the salads and all of those things. If, so it makes, you really have to just look at balance in general. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now, is that because you're a Vata type or is that for anyone in a cold okay. environment? It goes for anyone as a general rule, and then um, the pitta type would get away with more of the co cooling foods because they're characterized by heat and fire with a little bit of water as well. Um, so it again, like that's just the genotype, and then it gets into it, the phenotype from there, like what you become, meaning that a lot of people can't eat salads because they just have low stomach acid or they have um, uh, a dysfunctional microbiome, which means they've kind of built up more yeast or bacteria and there, that food ferments longer. So there's body type, and then there's also kind of what's happened because of toxins, antibiotic use, et cetera. I think all of it is actually, it just makes a lot of sense, right? It's just when you understand your body and what feels good in it and pay attention and think about what dosha or body type you could be, then you can pull together what's going to work best for yourself. I mean, I think it just, it makes so much sense. Um, I'd love to just shift gears just a tiny bit because the the Ayurvedic dosha is, is also mind, right? It's mind-body and uh, keeping, you kept talking about being in balance. Um, we all know that stress impacts our overall health. I think you talked about in the book that 90% of all disease could 
is at the root of some level of stress. Is that true? And if so, how can we, based on our doshas, um, best manage our stress levels? Yeah, I mean, one of it's really becoming self-aware. And, you know, every Monday I, I do a, a podcast where I'm trying to just share with people, you know, it's called a Motivation and Mindset Monday. And they're like, why would a naturopath uh, be doing kind of a motivation or, or mindset-based show? And because the truth is that you can't heal your body, you can't lose the weight, and you're not going to age more gracefully and better and have a healthier quality of life if you don't get the mind to first move that body. And the problem I see is that a lot of people, when they do come to us or whatever it might be, is that they've done a lot of the right things. They may not have done it in the right order. They might not have done it to the degree that they need to. But a lot of times is that they weren't fully ready to heal. And it's so important to look at that because our psychology, our brain actually affects our physiology. And we know that now. We can actually see how it changes the cells uh, in, inside of our body and actually changes our digestive system, our hormones. So for an example, we work with so many people with thyroid-based issues. And when your body is stressed, it produces something called adrenaline or norepinephrine. When that happens, it actually blocks your body from producing, from converting uh, thyroid-stimulating hormone or just TSH to becoming T4, Okay. When that happens, so when the body gets stressed, it goes from producing norepinephrine from essentially what's called the adrenal medulla to producing something called glucocorticoids or cortisol, which most people know about, from the adrenal cortex. When that happens, the body then blocks T4 from becoming activated T3, which is what the thyroid needs for that metabolic rate, or it converts it over to reverse T3. Either way, you're, not, you're losing about 70% of your thyroid hormone. So now we can say, okay, well, the body was stressed. It then shifted stress onto the adrenals, which is basically how the body handles a lot of stress in the body. That then affected the thyroid. Well, if your thyroid's off, what would happen if you started to go low thyroid? Well, you might not know it, but it can lead to cold hands and feet, thinning of the hair, loss of the last third of the eyebrow on your, on your eyebrows. A lot of people have thinning of the eyebrow. Dry, thinning skin. Okay? It can lead to constipation. It can lead to weight gain. So all of these things that are symptoms, right? all come from what's called a subclinical low thyroid. Because when you run your blood work and your TSH might be a 3.5, right? That's not optimal. 0.5 to 2 is. And if that's not optimal, you have to look at why it's not optimal. So we run this test called the thyroid adrenal hormone test that shows you what's going on within the body. But remember, this all started from stress. We need to fix where you're at today. We need to repair that thyroid. We need to repair the adrenals or the HPA axis, which is how the body communicates with the organs and glands. But at the same time, we need to work on why are you so stressed? What can we do about that, right? And so we work on that mindset with people as well. Um, so I'm just thinking as you're talking because it can be overwhelming, I think, sometimes when you know you don't feel good or you are stressed out and you need the help, you know, to make the change. So can you just give us maybe just two of your top best tips to um, reduce that stress in your life? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is going to be a little different for each person because what reduces stress for me might um, not do it for another person, right? So we all have our own stress reduction techniques. And I do I do talk a lot about those, um, you know, in the rain barrel effect as well. But I'll just tell you, most people get a great reduction in stress by focusing back on their breath. And here's why. When you're stressed, most people are doing shallow chest breaths, which only stimulates more this, this vagus nerve return back to the brain that something's wrong, that there's an anxiety-producing thing in life, and you're not getting enough oxygen into your bloodstream. So, Or they're holding their breath when they're stressed. So immediately when you feel stressed, go back to the breath. Work on what's called deep diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing. And this allows you to get more oxygen into the deeper lobes of the lungs, the last third of the lungs. When this happens, you oxygenate all of the cells in your body. And if you can just work on this one technique I talk about, five seconds in through your nose, no hold, but then seven seconds out either through your nose or your mouth. So a longer breath out 
and a shorter breath in, even if it's three seconds in and five seconds out. What that's going to allow you to do, and you only have to do that five times, it's going to allow those five breaths to calm your central nervous system. It works so great with kids as well. My oldest daughter, again, you can see this from when kids are born. My oldest daughter versus my youngest daughter is like night and day, their personalities. We didn't raise them differently, right? Mm. My wife and I, same exact thing. My oldest daughter is like type A, in it to win it. She's already like, uh, she's already a mom. She, you know, she's five turning six. She's already a mom. So that's it. And, and it's great. Like we have a built-in babysitter for our youngest already. It's fantastic. But here's the thing. Like I need to like literally just put my hand on her shoulder and I need to just say, I need you to breathe with me. We call it a blowing out birthday candles, right? Uh-huh. So what we do is we breathe in through the nose and she has to know she has to do three breaths like that. And all we're doing is we're distracting her from the stress and we're going back to the breath. So it works great for kids. It works great for adults as well. My second favorite is going for a walk. Sometimes if I'm having like an intense day, I will. I do this every way, anyways. During my lunch break, every single day I go for a walk before lunch. Sometimes it's after lunch, but always. And the reason is that breaks up my day. Phones on, off, all of that. I'm just working on my breathing and relaxation, and it calms that fight or flight. And that's a great way to help relax the body as well. I love both of those so much. Um, thank you for both of that. And I was thinking, I wore a back brace for six years growing up for scoliosis, and I had to sleep in the brace too. So I couldn't take a full breath in for many years. So as a vata who couldn't breathe, um, that's not a good combination. So I'm very aware of how important that that is. So I really appreciate um both of those. Um, so let's switch gears here. I'm just going to ask for, because we've really covered such a lot of great territory and gives a lot of, uh, for people to think about, top three best pieces of actionable advice you can give a mom out there who's listening who wants to improve their health today. Just no quick fixes. I, I know that there's, you know, plan, but just your top three, if somebody were to come see you and say, hey, I'm just going to do three, <laughs> what, sure. what, what would they be? Yeah. Yeah, the first one is is hands down the best thing that you can do for your body. And that's go 12 hours overnight without eating. It's it's an intermittent fast. There's probably right now nothing more with new scientific validity than that. I mean, really, that's that's the best thing you can do. Seven o'clock at night to seven in the morning, six at night to six in the morning, five to five, eight to eight, however you want to do it, 12 hours of just allowing your body to process all of the toxins, everything, all of the stress hormones. Remember, everything in your body breaks down to some type of toxin or some type of waste or acid, and that needs to be removed from the body. That's a normal human process. Give your body, remember, the yin-yang symbol, right? All about balance, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. It could be a little longer for some people um, and some not. Again, the vata, not as long, right? The endomorph, longer. So, But just 12 hours, seven to seven is a great one to follow. So after you wake up, hydrate the body. A little lemon water, a little pinch of sea salt if you want. We do something called the daily fruit and vegetable blend. It's just our greens. You can do that. Like whatever you're into, it's, it's just it, you have to find something that works for you. Might be a cup of um, chamomile tea in the morning. Might be a cup of uh, ginger tea. Like whatever starts your day, great. And then after that, we recommend a smoothie for breakfast. The reason we recommend that is that it's fast. You can take it on the go. You can make it for your kids as well, which is what we do in my house, and you can sip on it like on the ride to work, on the ride to dropping kids off, like whatever it might be. It's easy, and there's nothing more nutritious, right? Because you're basically taking a meal, and you're blending it, and so it takes none of your energy. So many people I work with, they don't have any energy. So if you don't have energy, and we know one-third of all your energy goes towards digestion, if you're asking your body to break down this heavy, complicated meal, or worse, you're eating a processed muffin or cereal or whatever where you get blood sugar spikes – That's not going to be the best way to start your day. Start your day with a cup or two of just, it can even be frozen um, fruit, like blueberries. Throw that in there. Throw some spinach in there. A tablespoon, if you want, of coconut oil, coconut cream, or whatever you want to put in there. Maybe you throw in some um, pumpkin seeds. And then we use something called a daily nutritional support powder. That's your multivitamins, your mineral, it's your vegan protein powder. It's all of those things. Just mix it right in there. Put in some a lot of water so you get your body hydrated. Most people are just drinking coffee. They're not hydrating their body at all with water. And remember, hydration, if you're not hydrated, it leads to um, lack of energy. So we get that right in the body. And the water, again, 90% of your blood is water. So it's flushing out the blood. It's pushing it through the liver, pushing it through the kidneys. The best thing to do is absolutely that 12 hour into your, uh, into your uh, smoothie for breakfast. And then 
I guess that's kind of like two tips right there, but I would say a second one would really be you have to move that body. Even if it's not formal exercise, shoot for 10,000 steps per day, work your way up to that every single day, get that lymphatic system moving, get the body moving, calm the entire nervous system by going for a gentle walk, uh, maybe twice a day for 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And then my third tip is this, is just to be, everyone needs to be a little bit gentler on themselves. One is like, you're going to, you're going to figure it all out. You really are. You're going to figure it out with life. You're going to figure it out with your career, with relationships, with your body, with your health, give yourself time, understand that you're on a journey right now. And as long as you don't give up on that journey, as long as you don't stop and sit down, you know, for too long, you're going to be able to figure it out. I truly believe that. And, and that's just taking the stress off yourself. It just does wonders for your health. Uh, I loved all of that so much. And why I loved it is because it's all very doable, you know, to, to get the 12 hours in of detoxing, of intermittent fasting while you sleep, easy to do, to hydrate, to have that smoothie, to go for the walk, and just to be kinder to yourself. So a mindset piece. So thank you. That's really beautiful. I just have just a couple more questions. What book actually, because we did cover a lot, so everyone I think should read The Brain Barrel Effect. I really love this book so much and I just keep going back to it. But um, do you have a book or resource you could recommend for somebody? I think two, actually, let's do two. One, if they want to learn more about Ayurvedic, because I think we did talk a lot about that and people might be curious about going a little bit deeper into that. And then two, just another book that you just feel like will up-level someone's life on some in some way for their health and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So the book, when people ask me for a recommendation, believe it or not, it's, again, before health, before body transformation, before you can get into that amazing relationship and career that you want is to, you have to start with the mindset. It, I got better, but I would always relapse. And I believe the reason I never got fully better is one, I, yeah, I didn't have it all figured out, meaning I eventually met my mentor, Dr. Pete, who was able to teach me, like share with me how to blend state-of-the-art functional medicine with the best of ancient Ayurvedic-based medicine. And from there, I just ran with it, right? But I didn't get fully well, and I wasn't even able to accept her message until I worked on my own mindset. And so I always go with mindset first. And again, people you know, can kind of speak to people from different directions. So one of the books that I love is called The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Dr. Um, Joseph Murphy. And But there's so many great you know, books in the subconscious mind. And I just feel that all of us are always starting from behind as we get to be adults. And that's because we didn't get to choose to imprint our subconscious mind when we were children. We were given the thoughts of our community, our culture, our church, our family, our friends. And those were the thoughts of how we look at life. Mm -hmm. But we know that people don't look at life the same way. They're just some people are stressed out about certain things and other people aren't. If you grew up with a scarcity around money, well, you think that money's always scarce. If everyone in your family was always sick, you're probably always sick as well. Like it's just it's what I've seen play out in my own life and it's what I've seen play out in others. Like I don't I didn't invent any of this. I really haven't. I've just tried to put it in into those three tips that you've you, I've talked about before like in a way that's really actionable. I don't think that any one of us has all this time, all this free time to be able to do all of these different things, but what we can do are things that can make a tremendous difference. Start with your mindset. Begin to reprogram what you believe you can achieve in life. Mm. Because if you don't believe you can achieve it, it, there's not even a point in going after it. I mean, there really isn't. Believe you can achieve it then follow a plan of someone that's already done it before because you don't have a plan right now. So first believe you can achieve it. Then just say, you know what? This person achieved it. Let me just copy them. Will you get the exact results you want? No, because you're not that person, but that's okay because you're going to be move forward because you're going to move along the same line as others that were successful before you. You need at least some plan and then begin. This is where be gentle on yourself plays into it. Understand that you're the way that you achieve success in anything is a zigzag. You're always moving forward, but it's not a straight line because you need to recalibrate. You figure out what works, what doesn't work. And when you figure out what something doesn't work, that's a great thing. Now, you know, don't repeat that mistake in the future. Move on, you know, and then again, like there's only so many mistakes you can make. I tell people that all the time. Listen, we're going to get you well. If you have digestive issues, I know that there's only about a dozen things that it could be. If you want, let's lab test. Let's narrow it down to four or five. Okay, if we figure that out now, we can say we're going to do these two because I don't want to do all four. 
And if those don't work, well, there's only two more it could be. So like, that's what I just tell people is that you'll eventually figure it all out if you're willing to follow that success path. So, uh, sorry, that was a long winded answer for the, <laughs> the book that I no, recommend. That was great. I really appreciate that because mindset is everything. You're right. Because if you have the mindset that you will find the answers, if you have the mindset that you can change, if you have the mindset that uh, you matter and it, your health matters, then you will take the action to change your life. So I really appreciate that you started with mindset versus another book on health. So that's great. Um, what about for Ayurvedic medicine? Yeah. And part of the reason why I mentioned that in mindset as well is there's no one book, right? So if I give people that book, they're like, if I read this, cause I went through that myself, I read thousands of books, even before I went back to school, uh, for my naturopathic doctoral degree or that I met my mentors. And I was always, this next book will hold the answer. And unfortunately, that's just not always the way it is. It's the accumulation. It's, and it's also the moving forward. It's the action putting into plan and practice that then eventually leads you to that answer. For Ayurvedic medicine, this, you know, again, I always say with Ayurvedic medicine, it's such a deep topic. The, the people that I've loved really learning from are Dr. Vasant Lad, which is um, V-A-S-A-N-T, and then L-A-D is his last name. Um, I love his books on Ayurvedic medicine. I love Dr. Svoboda, uh, his books, and that's, I believe, S-V-O-B-O-D-A. And then Dr. David Frowley's as well. I love their books. I really do. So those are great places to start. There's so many. But again, like, if you think that you're going to master Ayurveda with one book, um, it's a great taste. You get a taste of it, and hopefully you enjoy it because you'll want to learn and read more and more about it. So I think those are great authors to start with. Thank you. Okay. And so for the final question, I feel like we're living in a world where all we're taking in is a lot of negativity and what's wrong with the world. Um, based on the work that you do, I'm sure you have thousands of success stories, but is there one that comes top of mind where you are able to make a difference in someone's life that will leave people feeling inspired or happy? Because I feel like when we learn from other people's, I don't know, happy stories, it lifts us up too and gives us hope. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I really, I've been doing this for a while now and I never see myself tiring of it. I really believe that. And we've met with now over a quarter of a million, uh, one-on-one appointments, my team and I, of course, it's not just me. I have an amazing team and I just, I'm, so I'm just thinking back, this literally happened two days ago and I posted on Instagram. I never post success stories. I just never do that. But this one just spoke to me and I said, you know what? I need to post this because it was, it wasn't me. You know, it was one of the health coaches on my team and she helped this client get amazing results. And what they did specifically, again, this, you don't have to do this. It's just the success story I want to share. They wanted to get ready for their wedding. They didn't love how their body looked. They didn't love how they felt. They wanted to be in their best mood and feel their best on a very special day that, you know, people want to look back on as that was a great day and you want to have it all on that day. And so this person had eight weeks. That's all they gave us. That's it. Eight weeks to get me in my best shape, to feel my best, to look my best. And so we actually did. We did a 21 day Dr. Ball detox. We then did the maintenance protocol for, um, three more weeks. And then we did a 14 day detox at the end of that. Now, no one ever does that many detoxes that close together. We typically recommend seasonally every 12 weeks, but they were a special circumstance and it's very healthy to do. So there's no issues. The, I didn't even ask how much they lost the toxicity, the inflammation, the glow on their skin, like the difference in their body. They did. And I didn't even do a front facing shot because I didn't want I didn't want people who so, to see this person and say like, oh, this person is different than me. I wanted them to look at like the back of the person. This could be anyone. It could be you. And the level of change was so dramatic in eight weeks that it took my breath away. Um, and I wanted to share that this was not me. This was one of my health coaches. And this can happen for anyone. This is not a person that did a lot of exercise. What they did was they realized that they had to if they wanted different results, they had to do something very different, right? And if they wanted extraordinary results, they had to do something that was extraordinary as we break it down, right? It has to be out of the ordinary. And they did it. They achieved dramatic weight loss, 30 plus pounds. And what we saw was two totally different people. And one was that just ecstatic on their wedding day. And for us, you know, that's it. Like that, that's the ultimate. And I mean, really like I'm, I'm, I can feel it right now. I really can of, of, uh, how unbelievable this industry is. That's a great story. I actually saw the picture 
on your Instagram account because I do follow it. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Dr. Cabral, you've been so generous with your time. I'm wondering if I didn't ask you something that you wish I had. It's just anything else that um, you would maybe wanted to express that maybe I hadn't asked you today? I think it's just the the notion that a lot of us feel that we are uniquely suffering from something in our life, whether it's feeling all alone, that people don't understand us, that we have a, a dis-ease that they, we think is genetic or that um, you know a lot of our friends or family don't suffer from, um, and any number of things, that all of our friends can seem to lose weight, but we can't, and we feel like it's just happening to us. I can tell you that I felt the same exact way 20 plus years ago, and that unfortunately, but also fortunately, that that's not true. And that should bring you a lot of hope, that if someone else is suffering from what you're suffering from right now, and they've gotten better, and they've turned your life, and they've turned their life around, that the same is possible for you. I don't know of anyone right now that cannot turn their life around and begin to lead the life that they've always wanted. And it's not always about health, and it's not always about body transformation, but in my field, I always say start with your mindset, start with your health. They're both one and the same, your physiology and psychology. Because if you get back your health, and you get back your body, you take control of those two things, it gives you a win. And you can translate that win over to relationships and career and spirituality and so much more. One is because you've already done it. You did it with yourself, probably the hardest thing to do. And the second is this, is that you then have the energy, the vitality, the ambition, and the drive to do more in life when you get back your health and vitality. So that's what I want to leave people with. Is I just truly believe, I think that I've seen it all right now in terms of pe- people being able to overcome all sorts of obstacles in life. And I just want to give people that hope. And I want to thank you. I mean, you. I, I love your work. I've been following you for a long time. I've personally worked with you on my own health and wellness. I love your passion. I love your commitment. You are not just a practitioner, but you are a teacher. And I want to just ask you, where can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to learn more about you. So where are the different places that you teach and you're out there trying to empower others? Well, if they love, if they enjoy podcasting, like the amazing work that you're doing right now as well, and sharing your knowledge uh, with the world is I have a podcast called the Cabral concept. And each day I share one particular health topic. So it's basically uh, one podcast a day. And on the weekends, I answer our community's questions. So it's called the Cabral concept. And then just my main hub is stephencabral.com. And then people can find, you know, whether it's the Dr. Ball Detox or the Functional Medicine Labs, whatever they might feel serves them. Or maybe I always talk about this industry and, and the work that you're doing as well is that maybe it doesn't apply to you right now, but why not share it with someone else? Like there's friends, family, coworkers that need help and they they need a little bit of guidance. Just point them in the right direction. And I think maybe someday someone will do that for you as well. And and that's I think that's why I'm I'm grateful as well that somehow I met my mentor and somehow she was able to teach me things that no one else had. And so now I just feel obligated essentially to pay it forward. It's so true because you may hear something or learn something new that changes your life in that moment. So thank you for saying that. That's so true. Your podcast is so great. I should say, so you answer questions that people write in. Is that, do you, do you still do that? I still do it. Okay. We've answered over 2000. I know. So <laughs> yep. I was just going to, so if people want to write into you, they can also do that and access you that way. So, and then the last thing is, and I'll link to everything that we talked about today is, is your book, The Rain Barrel Effect, which I do think everyone should get a copy of. It's so wonderful. And we didn't get into it today, but it does take you through why your your rain barrel could be getting over full and then how to solve for that. I mean, it gives a step-by-step on everything that you absolutely need for optimal health. So um, I'll definitely link to that. Thank you so much, Dr. Cabral, for your time today. It's always such a pleasure to connect with you and you just have such a good heart and spirit and I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me on today and all the amazing work that you're doing for others as well. Uh, Thanks, Dr. Cabral. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, 
make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.